Have you ever felt inadequate? <laughs> well, yeah, probably. Uh, have you ever felt that you don't measure up? Have you ever thought that everybody else has their act together, but you're basically a loser? Or maybe you thought this. Have you ever thought you're better than somebody? Have you ever struggled with arrogance and pride or perhaps racism, which uh, is a pretty big deal right now as we're finally addressing these demons of arrogance, elitism, racism, and, and pride and elitism? It's, it's amazing. Have you ever made a promise that you never intended to keep? Hmm. Have you lacked integrity? And I think I could go on, but I think you get the picture that every one of us struggles with brokenness. Every one of us have done wrong. To quote an old song, sin had left a crimson stain. You might have an overinflated view of yourself or an underinflated view of yourself, but we all have the commonality of brokenness, and very few of us have a realistic view of ourselves. We have a tendency to think less or think more but really to see ourselves as God sees us and how does that play out? What does that mean? And all of this leads me to a bigger question. How do I know that I am right with God and I could dwell in his presence forever? How do I know that? And that, that may be and probably is the biggest question of life. How do I know that I'm okay with God? And how do I know that my eternality is secure? Now, every culture throughout humanity has had a view of the afterlife. And so this is not something that we're making up. I know people that are atheistic or agnostic believe that in annihilation, but annihilation is really not a real thing, that we are created with a soul, and that soul lives forever. The psalm we're looking at today, it just leaves me with more questions. Because as I read it, I think that I really fall short of the standard God has set for me. And really in reading this psalm, I become a little overwhelmed that I need to really look at my character and answer these questions of my heart because I need to know that I'm going to dwell with God so that I can live with confidence today and hope for tomorrow. And so we're going to take a look at this psalm, and then I think we're going to come to a startling revelation that we cannot live up to it. We cannot live up to these standards. But God, the most powerful statement in the universe, but God, Nothing is impossible for him. So let's go on this adventure of Psalm 15 together and see what God says to us about how we can truly live in freedom. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for what you're going to say to us this morning, and I pray that you'll speak through me. And Lord, I pray that it'll not be my thoughts or my words or my pattern, but I pray it'll be yours, and I thank you for the time in your word that I can bring these truths to these people that I love. Thank you for what you're doing, and I pray this in your son's strong name. Amen. Amen. I hope and trust that you're taking advantage of all the resources we're providing for you. The Summer in the Psalm videos that we're releasing bi-weekly, the materials that we have available on our our site, and maybe you picked up a Psalm journal Bible that you're reading and journaling. I love the fact that my wife was watching last week and taking notes on her husband as he preached because she knows that any good thing that comes out of me comes from God. She lives up close and personal. But I want to take you on this adventure of Psalm 15. And we're going to pull it apart piece by piece. And we're going to see what God's saying to us. Here's the first thing. This is a question of eternity. A question of eternity. The psalmist starts off like this. And it's King David who's writing this. He starts off this. O Lord, who shall sojourn, sojourn in your tent? 
and who will dwell on your holy hill? Of course, the thought of the Hebrew thought of God being encased in a tent comes out of the fact that in the wilderness, he lived in the tabernacle amongst them. And then the holy hill, of course, was representing Mount Moriah or Mount Zion or where the temple mound would eventually be built. They were referring to these things. And what they were saying, they were referring to the place of eternality where men would spend, and women would spend uh, their entire life. Now, I could give you a lot of background on Hebrew thought about eternality and, and the afterlife. And it really wasn't fully developed by rabbinical thought until the Babylonian captivity. But David gives us a glimpse way before the captivity because eternality and the truth of eternity was in the heart of God before creation uh, ever began. So God has been certain about eternity and he's allowed us to discover it. Now the word sojourn, who may sojourn with God? And the, the word there is better translated dwell. And this translation says sojourn, and I'm not diminishing this translation. It's a very good scholarly translation. I would dare say I'm smarter than the guys who translate this, not even close. But the word dwell really has a, a more permanency to it in, in the Hebrew language. It, in, it has a, a permanency. And the word dwell comes from the root word of the word Shekinah, which means the glory of God. Who will dwell in the glory of God? Who will dwell in the glory of God presently? And who will dwell in the glory of God permanently? Now, that's a great question. Do I want to live in my own glory, which is fading, temporal? Or do I want to live in God's glory or live for God's glory in his Shekinah presently and then permanently? And that's a great question of the soul. Who may do this? And the psalmist is asking these questions. And this is a question of the human condition. Now, a lot of us have some false ideas about, well, what does it take to be right with God? How do we know we're going to dwell in the Shekinah or the glory of God? How do we know we're going to live on this holy hill? And we come up with a lot of thought, a, a cacophony of thought, that we say, okay, if I do this, do this, do this, then I'm okay. And let me give you kind of a list. We say, well, if I'm good, if, I, if I'm good, if I help a little old woman cross the street, if I find a $20 bill on the street and turn it in, if I'm good, if I give money to homeless people, if I'm good, or if I participate in social unrest, in a proper way, if I'm good, then I'm okay. I'm doing what's right. And, and so we have that false view. Oh, this is even better. Well, I may not be perfect, but I'm better than most people I know. <laughs> well, that's pretty low bar, isn't it? In fact, I joke about having some of these friends that makes me feel better about myself. I'm better than most people I know. In fact, you can always find somebody in your own arrogance and pride that you think you're better than. And it's truly not right. That's truly one of the demons from hell is elitism and entitlement, which leads to racism. The root of racism is found in the fact that I'm better than someone else. And that's from the devil, from the devil. Now, I grew up in the South, and, uh, and I understand what it's like to grow up in a family of racists. And it breaks my heart to hear that people are marginalized and put aside, in fact, coming uh, I've released last week a, a video comment about these things, and you can go Google that and, or look it up on our website. It'll give you more of my heart about this matter. But this think I'm better than other people is really a, a problem that comes with the stench of the sulfur of hell on it. Well, I always say this. Well, I know lots of information. I can quote scripture. 
I know how all the Bibles, all the verses of the Bible. I've memorized the book of James or whatever, and we somehow think that our knowledge has led us to a place of perfection, and it does not. I heard an evangelist ask this question, what part of the Bible gives you the most trouble? He says, well, it's not the parts that I understand. It's the parts that I don't do. I heard another preacher say, well, I'm against sin except for the ones I enjoy. And aren't we kind of like that? We pick and choose. And we say we know this and we know that. But we really know that we need more than what we know. Or you say, well, I attend the right kind of gatherings. I I watch Pastor Scott online. I'm, I'm blessed and highly favored. Really? Or I'm in a small group. Really? Or I'm in a ministry. Or I, 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 go, I attend regularly. Or I even give my money. Really? Does that make us right? Does that make us right? Does going to a barn and standing around make you a horse? It does not. And so you have to look at the comparisons of saying, well, if I do this. Well, here's the lesson. I, I love this one. Well, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Really? Really? I have been to places in the world where their worship, sincere, they eat each other. Called cannibalism. Won't you eat your neighbor? Ha, okay, stupid. But nonetheless, they're sincere. Shouldn't they make it right with God? Because I really believe this with all my heart. No. Sincerity is never a measure of righteousness. Never. None of these are good solutions. Now, let me give you some more. This will just kind of help you. The rabbis during Jesus' day believed you had to obey 631 laws, regulations, in order to be declared righteous. 631. Good luck with that list. Well, it gets a little better. This psalm, it it takes it down to 11, and we're going to cover those 11. Isaiah 33, 15 and 16, it gives six. Malachi gives three. Excuse me, not Malachi, but Micah gives three. I love justice, seek mercy, walk humbly with our God. Then Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, whichever way you want to mispronounce it, uh, it, it gets down to one, and that's faith. And then comes Jesus, and he says, come to me, come to me. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And he changes the conversation completely from what you do to what he has done. It's interesting that the psalmist in this passage of 15 doesn't mention gatherings. He doesn't mention sacrifice. He doesn't mean, mention attendance. He mentions character. You see, spiritual Hebrews knew they knew that personal faith brought them salvation, not the adherence to some legalistic rules or mandates. So the psalmist gives us this list. And so let's look at this list together. Let me read it for you. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right, he speaks truth in his heart and does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor nor takes up reproach against a friend. Now, takes up reproach, it means that I'm going to be offended and not forgiving. In whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears by his own hurt and does not change. In one translation, it says, it keeps his word even when it hurts. He keeps his word even 
when it hurts, who does not, does not put out his money at interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things will never be moved. And one translation says, will never be shaken. And the Hebrew word there means to be pulled up like a plant and all the dirt shaken off your roots and thrown away. If you do these things, you will not be shaken. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will be pulled up by the roots. But God says, when you have my favor and my hope and my peace, you will never be shaken. You will always be replanted. Always be replanted. And I love this about God. But let's take a look at this passage and look what it's really saying to us. This is a tough list to live up to. Let me walk through it once, a bit at a time. Who walks blameless. What does that mean? That means you're living in such a way that nobody can make up stuff about you. or They, they can't find fault with you. And that's really kind of hard because, man, I accidentally mess up. I say things that I wish I didn't say things, and it just comes out of my mouth. It's like I've got some kind of, you know, oral incontinence that it just comes out of my mouth. And and so how do I walk blameless and and not be blamed for something? And then it says who does what is right, no matter what, that I'm going to do the right thing the right way for the right reasons with the right kind of love, to quote Augustine's questions of the soul. Those those things that I'm going to do that, it goes on, who speak truth. (laughs) <laughs> we have a, a, a thing in our marriage. We say no secrets, no worries. And, and th- that means that I have to protect myself from giving Tara false information. And she has to do the same thing for me, that we want to live in transparency. In fact, I'm going to give you a little acronym. You want a hot marriage, H-O-T, hot marriage? As some of you just threw up in your mouth a little bit, but you'll be all right. That means you're, you're humble, you're open, and you're transparent. That you have marriages that are, you're speaking the truth and you're not holding back who don't slander. <laughs> I'm a pastor. You think I get slandered? A lot. A lot. I get slandered on social media, so I just try to stay off of it. I, if you see me on social media, it's usually not me posting something at somebody else, just for transparency's sake, because I, I don't want to hear it. I have people who've made up stuff about me, even in this precious little town called Wimberley, that people make up stuff about me and say things that aren't true. But I don't need to do the same. Do you know what my proclivity is? Is that when somebody slanders me, I will slander you right back. I will make up something better because I'm better at making up stuff than you are. Whew. But this says I, I shouldn't do that. I've got a problem. I need a savior. I need a solution. The list goes on. Who doesn't do evil? Who doesn't do evil? And I don't think most of us are not saying, well, I'm going to do something evil. Now, some of you listening may be doing that. But a one person who dwells with God does not do evil. The list goes on. Who doesn't hold a grudge? Now it's getting right down to it. Do you know we remember a negative event in our life for 22 years? And we will tell anybody who will hear about it as quickly as we can. When you're holding a grudge, when you're bitter, I, I've seen this happen. In fact, I, I said this to uh, one of the guys, we were on a, a trip together in Central America, and I said, you know, a bitter person will show their bitterness within the first 15 to 30 seconds of a conversation. We met a person who was uh, a, an expat transplanted there in Nicaragua, and within 15 seconds, she shared with us her bitterness and her grudge. I looked at him, he looked at me, and I said, you see, bitterness drives you. Grudges control you. And a person who is upright and blameless doesn't hold on to it. What do you need to 
get rid of today? What do you need to get rid of today? What grudge is holding you captive in such a way that's ruining your life? Who doesn't hang out with vile people? Now, the, the, this passage says, who despises a vile person. And the word despises doesn't mean put down, belittle, or ostracize. It means, you know what? What it means is I'm not going to let them influence me. I'm not going to let a vile person into my circle of influence. I might have them in relationship so that I may talk to them about Christ or help them know more about God, but I'm not going to let them influence me, that I'm not going to lay down with the dogs to get up with the fleas, as we talked about last week, who keeps their word, who honors other believers. Excuse me, I jumped ahead. Who honors other believers that that we're going to be honoring. I, I had a good friend of mine. I won't tell you his name but I'll give you his initials, Michael Morton. He texts me this week, Romans 12, 9 and 10. It says this, don't pretend that you love each other. Let your love be without hypocrisy. Huh? Do what is good. Honor one another in perfect delight. Take delight in honoring each other. I love that admonition from Paul who says that we should love, really love people. Don't just pretend, but really love them. Really love them, especially other believers, that we're going to honor them. That means we're not going to slander them. We're not going to hold grudges against them. We're going to be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving. But I look at those things and I went, oh, wow. Who keeps his word? Used to, we didn't sign documents. We shook hands and those days are gone, obviously. We signed documents about everything. But we need to be people of integrity who keep our word who don't take advantage of folks with money. It says it don't charge interest. And we look at that and we go, well, the banks charge interest. Yeah, but the interest that this psalmist is writing about is interest of 300, 400, 500, 600%. When I lived in Montgomery, Alabama, we'd drive down one road in an under-resourced area of the city. And on that road was an overwhelming number of payday loan companies who were taking advantage of the under-resourced charging them interest rates in the 30 and the 40 percentile. But compared to what the psalmist is talking about, four, five, six, seven, eight hundred percent interest, what it led to was indentured servitude, that people could not pay their debts, so therefore they were brought in to be slaves. That's what it's talking about here. And that's wrong. That's wrong. People were meant to be free, not enslaved. Of course, our biggest adversary is not the slavery of man, but the slavery of sin, which holds us captive. And then finally, it says you can't be bought, that your integrity is above a monetary contribution. You can't be bought. This is a struggle for all of us because we, we like money. All of us do. Uh, and money is, uh, is not evil. The love of money is evil. It's the root of all evil. It says your integrity is above the place where you could be purchased. I remember a time pastoring, a young pastor at a church in South Texas, one of our large donors got mad at me. He says, I'm leaving this church and I'm taking my money. And I had to say to them, well, I guess I'll see you in heaven because I didn't want to be bought or be held captive by someone who had cash. Does it help? Now, I read all these things. This list could be boiled down to three basic virtues. Let me give them to you because I just gave you a bunch. A person of integrity, a person who's honest with righteous conduct, or a person who has truthful conversations, who speaks truth. All of these things point out, I've got a problem, and you've got a problem. Now, before you get all upset and said, 
Pastor, you being judgmental. No, 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 no. I want to give you a solution because there is good news. And the good news is great good news. This is what Paul said. Now, we're jumping from the psalmist look now to what King Jesus says. And this is what Paul says. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regards to righteousness. In other words, that you didn't have to be righteous because you're sinful. You just live in sin, and, and if you live in sin, you die in sin. He'll go on to say that in a second. But what fruit is there you're getting at that time from the things which are now you're now shamed? For the end of those things is death. It means the end of sin is death, and the fruit of sin is death. Oh, but now that you've been set free from sin because you become the slaves of God. Now, it doesn't mean the slave of God. You become a son of God. You mean you become compelled and invited in and loved and encouraged and empowered by God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification. What is sanctification? To be more like Jesus. And its end is eternal life. Then Paul surmises this by saying, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Who could dwell on this holy hill? Who can live us dwell with God who can do that someone who's been sanctified changed by the power of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ there is good news I can't live up to this list therefore I need God and God says I got you and I got you in the form of in the name of and the person of and the God of Jesus Christ that our God is Jesus Christ and he has paid for us now David wrote this psalm with the knowledge of the indwelling Holy Spirit in his life. It says that when David was anointed king, the Spirit of God dwelt on him from that day forward. David and John the Baptist, the only two people in history, before Jesus came at Pentecost and gave the gift of the Holy Spirit, had the Holy Spirit dwelling on them from the time of their anointing or their calling. David had that, and he wrote with that knowledge. And when he made that list, he was making that list with full awareness that he could not live up to that list, without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And he wrote that. David was pointing ahead to the redemption that God would provide being justified by faith. But let me say this to you. Faith in God has always been the pathway to salvation. Before Christ and now after Christ, believing him and counting to him as righteous. Listen to what Paul says later in Romans. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Something that just jumped out at me, that by testing. That means as I live a life that's measuring up to these lists in Psalm 15, I will test and see that God is good that through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I can become that man or that woman listed in fifteen Psalm 15. And I can see that this fruit is good fruit. And the eternal presence of God and the eternal dwelling with God becomes my reality because of Jesus, because he's transformed me into his likeness, into his image. Paul says this later to the church at Ephesus, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not your own doing, it's the gift of God not a result of works so that no one could boast. As I was reading through these Psalms to preach through this summer and was making this list, I came across Psalm 15 and I started to skip it because there's so much theological trouble in it. But I thought if I don't take the time to digest this for myself and realize that I have a great need, that I will not be able to give you what you need. 
See, I've discovered this about life. It's not about me. It's not about my preferences. It's not about what I want. And not just as a pastor, but as a person, as a father, as a grandfather. Uh, Tara and I were recently planning a a getaway weekend. We were going to go off someplace like to the Davis Mountains or down to San Antonio, one of our favorite cities, or perhaps sojourn even to the beaches of Florida. And we were making those plans, and then a text came in. And it was an invitation from our daughter to babysit our grandchildren. Well, guess who got trumped? I did. The getaway turned into a babysitting. Why? Because of the transformation of relationships. The transformation of relationships. That it's not about me. It's about me giving myself away to others. In fact, it's not hard to give myself away to the ones I love. And by this, all men will know that we're disciples of Christ, not by our stand against tyranny, but our love for one another. And our love for one another, we stand against tyranny. We refuse, out of love, to be labeled as, right, as racist or entitled or judgmental or arrogant. We choose to live a life of love. And love covers a multitude of sins. Because I can experience the healing of my brokenness by King Jesus I can now live the new life that Christ has for me, and I can live beyond myself. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever because of him. Who may live on his holy hill? Who may sojourn or dwell with God? You. When you come to Jesus. I can't fulfill this list of Psalm 15, but God has changed me. And because I've been changed, I can live the list. Why? Because Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. He washed it white as snow. Where will you spend eternity? With whom will you dwell presently and permanently? My prayer for you today in this summertime psalm, is that you may soak into the reality that God wants you to live all for Jesus.